Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. This song is going out to the mighty, mighty world of women. At that clinic, and you have to make a decision. Is it life? Is it death? I know you must decide. Either way, either choice, it is a long ride. Raise a child, single mom, and will the father be there? You had your fun that night, but I don't think he cares. Bring a life into this world is a big responsibility. Women, can you hear me? Each life is precious, so I ask that you think about it. There are people that can help you, so don't doubt it. It's demanding and you may not have much to give, so hear me out when I say, just let her live. I want you to know that they're precious human life. Just let her live. Taking away their chance. I don't think that it's right. Just let her live. Taking away their opportunity to go Tisha Wong. I am joined by two very awesome co-hosts. Let me introduce them to you. They are my friends. Hey, Melissa. Hey, Thomas. How are you doing today? I think I've lost you, Melissa. Can you hear me? I see you both. I see you both. I can hear you, Thomas. Melissa. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, hey. Oh, you didn't hear me. Okay. Sorry. We can now. <laughs> well, I'm here and uh, glad to be here for the period of time that I can be on. Um, but praise God, we made it for another week. Amen. I'm glad to have you here for as long as you can be here. Awesome. Yes, ma'am. So today we have a show that is just stuffed full of headlines. Every once in a while we will do this show where we just pull out all the 
stories that I've been saving up for a long, long time to talk about, and we're going to talk about them because they have a pro-life element to them. And if you are a regular listener of this show, you need to know how to pick these things out in your daily news. So stay tuned. We are talking about the latest stuff today as well as things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. But, Thomas, please start our show properly, would you? All righty. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I, have re- I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to host uh, True Life Friday's broadcast, Lord God, Letitia, Melissa, and myself, Lord God. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that the information that we're going to speak on today, Lord God, will open up the eyes and the ears of people and that they will be compelled to action. Lord God, we we are we're remiss to remind people that with everything that's going on, there's still the fifteen hundred babies, or should I say four thousand five hundred babies, who are needlessly slaughtered every day at the abortion mills, as well as the countless lives that are being taken at the hands of these murderous terrorists. So, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus for your strength, your grace, and your mercy to continue to speak the words that we know that need to be spoken. We say we love you, and we bless you, and we thank you for forgiveness of our sins. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thomas. And, yes, we do have a ton of things to go over. Plus, we're going to recap a little bit of what we were talking about last week, which uh, there is a lot to talk about. We're going to get into that. Um, But what has been the news of the week so far is our country, our president, has decided to uh, take us back to not an equivalent of a war in Iraq. And what does that really mean? I'm going to – let's play a clip of him speaking this week on Wednesday – just before the anniversary of 9-11 yesterday, which we will also talk about. And this is what he said. Now let's make two things clear. ISIL is not Islamic. No religion condones the killing of innocents. And the vast majority of ISIL's victims have been Muslim. And ISIL is certainly not a state. It was formerly Al-Qaeda's affiliate in Iraq and has taken advantage of sectarian strife and Syria's civil war to gain territory on both sides of the Iraq-Syrian border. It is recognized by no government, nor by the people it subjugates. ISIL is a terrorist organization, pure and simple, and it has no vision other than the slaughter of all who stand in its way. In a region that has known so much bloodshed, these terrorists are unique in their brutality. They execute captured prisoners. They kill children. They enslave, rape, and force women into marriage. 
They threatened the religious minority with genocide and in acts of barbarism. They took the lives of two American journalists, Jim Foley and Stephen Sotloff. So ISIL poses a threat to the people of Iraq and Syria and the broader Middle East, including American citizens, personnel, and facilities. If left unchecked, these terrorists could pose a growing threat beyond that region, including to the United States. While we have not yet detected specific plotting against our homeland, ISIL leaders have threatened America and our allies. Our intelligence community believes that thousands of foreigners, including Europeans and some Americans, have joined them in Syria and Iraq. Trained and battle-hardened, these fighters could try to return to their home countries and carry out deadly attacks. Okay, so that is the reason for being. Now we are going to uh, engage in not an equivalent war in Iraq and try to take... Lutetia? Did we lose Lutetia? I think we lost Letitia. Well, as we wait for our host to call back in, Melissa, how's your week been? <laughs> kind of, kind of that? <laughs> I was just thinking that in light of what we just listened to, um, you know, my my problems is pale in comparison to what um, our brothers and sisters are enduring over in Iraq and the Middle East and Syria, where uh, Christians are being slaughtered and murdered and raped and all these sort of things. But um, but yeah, it's been uh, uh, quite a week, <laughs> quite a busy week and a busy time and season in our lives. So um, you know, we're evaluating a lot of that and, and determining the things that we need to. To continue to do, or the things that we may may need to eliminate for a time or permanently. So that is uh, huh? that's my life right now. Are, is Letitia back? Yes, she yes. is. Okay, great. <laughs> I love I BTR. <laughs> I just keep telling myself yes. that I love BTR. <laughs> love that drop calls. Um, so what what we were going to get to is. To start off at the beginning, and I don't really have the ability to pause our audio once it gets started, um, but see, what, what the things that I want to deal with specifically in President Obama's speech in the beginning is that he tried to make a, a distinction between what ISIS believes and does with that of Islam, the religion. And I don't know that it, in, for America that is going over so well because we have heard it often enough, and yet we have also heard it refuted often enough. And so we're going to go through a little bit of that reasoning for a little while. He has, this administration has said time and time again that ISIS or ISIL uh, speaks for no religion. I would beg to differ. On the mm-hmm. contrary, there is mm-hmm. nothing that ISIS has done visibly with the acquisition of territory through conquest, um, making people pay uh, tribute money to them, forced, converting of, forced conversion of people who are not Muslims by the sword, and 
the the treatment of enemies, people they consider enemies. That includes raping and pillaging and beheading. None of those things are foreign to the religion of Islam. In fact, that is exactly mm-hmm. how Islam spread across the Middle East from its founder, right. Muhammad the Prophet. Right. Exactly. And so I'm hard-pressed yeah. to find any dissimilarity between what ISIS is doing today and what has been done in the past thousand-plus years of Islam's existence. Right. Muhammad was called what, what he was it the prophet of the sword or the prophet of the blood or something of that name. I forget the name for him, but he had a name that, um, you know, that distinguished his, uh, his murderous skills. <laughs> right. Having said that, I am a little taken aback by our president and other members of the media that are trying to push this this idea. They're strained. I I even fault President George W. Bush with this, trying to tell us there is a distinction between militant Islamic radicals. That's what they are. They're not extremists um, as so much as they are radicals. Right. And as far as the fact that they represent a minority by the numbers in mm-hmm. the world of Islam, a world of uh, Muslims, doesn't change what they really are. So here's, so right. here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little apologetics hour right now. Well, not for an hour, but for just this mm-hmm. one few, few moments about this claim that ISIS speaks for no religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've already gone through the fact that they resemble, to a T, their founder, the Prophet Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Is it true that they don't speak for the vast majority of Muslims? That much is true. They don't speak for the vast majority of Muslims. But that is not now here, I want people to understand me very clearly. That is not because ISIS and those jihadis that believe similarly to them have in any way departed from the true religion of Islam. Mm-hmm. That is not because right. they have, has, as many people in the media would like to say, hijacked the religion or distorted the religion or um, use, are using it simply for their political or ideological means. That is okay. not the case. Because when we take their beliefs primarily in the supremacy of Islam, and you take the, the verses in the Quran that preach specifically that the followers of Allah need to conquer and subdue their enemies and to make the religion of Islam the supreme religion in the land that they occupy, that is exactly what they're doing. Right. So you, I'm hard-pressed to find where they have distorted the religion of Islam in any way. In fact, they are the more pure, the most pure, and the most obedient to the Quran as anybody that I've ever seen. Not, mm-hmm. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone. This next clip is kind of longish, 
But it is Bill Maher bringing it to Charlie Rose when Charlie Rose decides he's going to disagree with um, disagree with Bill Maher's assessment. You are very strong in terms of the threat of radical fundamentalist jihadism. Still am. I know. Yes, I think uh, liberals should stop booing me for pointing out that Islam is not like other religions. That is a unique threat, and that no, there. But, is it, but it's not Islam you're against. It's all religions are stupid. They are. Yeah. I, I saw Howard Dean on TV the other day, and he said something uh, along the order of he said uh, the people in ISIS are. Uh, I said I'm about as uh, Islamic as they are. You know, distancing the vast numbers yeah, of right. Islamic people around the world from it. That's just not true. It is true. It is not true, Charlie. There is a connecting tissue between... Uh, you mean, you know, behind every, behind every Muslim is a future member of some radical... Let me finish. I thought I was doing that. <laughs> uh, there are illiberal beliefs that are held by vast numbers of Muslim people that I don't think... Vast Howard... number of Christians, too. No, no, that's people. not true. Not true. Vast numbers of Christians do not believe that if you leave the Christian religion, you should be killed for it. Vast numbers of Christians do not treat women as second-class citizens. Vast numbers of Christians no, I agree with that. do not believe that. that if you draw a picture of Jesus Christ, you should get killed for it. Um, so, yes, does ISIS do... Khmer Rouge-like activities where they just kill people indiscriminately who aren't just like them? Yes. And would most Muslim people in the world do that or condone that? No. no. But most Muslim people in the world do condone violence just for what you think. That? They do. First of all, know. they say it. They shout it. Vast from the, majorities of Muslims Absolutely. Say that? There's a Pew poll of Egypt done a few years ago. 82%, yeah. I think it was, said uh, stoning is the appropriate punishment for adultery. Over 80% thought uh, death was the appropriate punishment for leaving the Muslim religion. I'm sure you know these things. I know. I'm, well, I do. So, but so I, but claim I don't, that this I don't religion believe... is like other religions is just naive and plain wrong. It is not like other religions. Uh, the New York, Times, point, do New York Times pointed out an uh, op-ed. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it right there because I think the point that he was trying to make, he made. Bill Maher made the point that Islam is not like other religions, but the vast majority of Muslims do not act like what, what Islam is. However, if you ask them how um, the a vast majority of Muslims don't act like ISIS, and they don't believe that in, in murdering people indiscriminately, but if you ask the vast majority of Muslims, and he cited the research, uh, the research by the Pew, uh, the Pew research, Pew research, got it, that most Muslims agree that if you leave the Muslim religion, if you convert away from Islam, you ought to be killed. The question is going to be, where do they get that idea from? Right. Anybody want to wager a guess? The Quran. Exactly. These are from the words of Muhammad himself. Right. That if anybody mm -hmm. changes his religion, and by changes he means the Muslim who decides to convert away, he ought to be killed. Mm -hmm. And you don't need an Islamic state 
or an Islamic government to execute people. You just need another Muslim to carry out that sentence. So why are there so many beheadings in Saudi Arabia? I, I think Bill Maher raised that issue too. Why are there so many beheadings in other countries? They're not performed by Islamic governments. Why are there? Why is there honor killing in a country like England, where there are many Muslims who supposedly have to live under English law? But yet, why? Why are there so many honor killings? Because Sharia is not beholden to the laws of the land. You can right. have a secular government. You can have whoever you want as a government. But Sharia law is exercised by any Muslim who decides to exercise it. Right. As opposed to Christianity where we're told to be obedient um, to our to our government. Right. right. As long as the government is hold, upholding law and order in, a, in, in general. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and the main difference that I wanted to point out between what the media is trying to communicate to people, almost in a brainwashing fashion, is not what Bill Maher is pointing out. We're supposed to look at Islam as a religion of peace. Well, Islam never markets itself as a religion of peace. Why are we saying that? We have we have gone through this before. There are only two worlds in in Islam, two houses, as they say, the house of war and the house of Islam, or the house of submission. Actually, what it really translates to. Islam does not mean peace. It means submission. So you are in either one or the other. If you are not a Muslim, you are automatically in the house of war. What is the word, the Arabic word for a whole religious war? Jihad. Jihad. Yep. That's right. So if you are not a Muslim living in the under the house of submission, you are living in the house of war, and jihad will be waged upon you. That is the worldview of Islam. Now, happy are you if the Muslim near you decides not to wage that war on your head tomorrow or the day after or in any day of your life. You got lucky. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a prescription for this right in the Quran. There is. And why is ISIS uh, why is ISIS such a threat? They are doing exactly what has made Islam such a powerful force in the past. All they need is time and money. Really. That's all they have and that's what and they're getting it right now. Uh-huh. Right. So why is this a pro-life issue? Either of you want to take that away and explain why is this a pro-life issue? It's a pro-life issue because they're killing indiscriminately, and they're specifically targeting women and children. What? Oh, well, that's a that's a that's a different that's a, an additional angle to this, the issue of <laughs> the women and children. Yes, they are targeting women and children, but for what? 
beheadings, slavery, rapes, forced marriages, you name it, they're doing it. And it sounds awfully like what they do in Islam. So, anyway. Right, right. Most of the time, though, women will get away without being beheaded. What they will get is sold as sex slaves. Uh, children, it really depends on whether they find those children useful or not. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's very sad that our, the, our, our government sees this as a problem, and clearly the United States public sees this as a problem, but lacks the backbone to actually name the crime, name what is going on here. Our political correctness in this country is, is such a blanket of uh, soft tissue, I would say, wrapping this, this issue in such fluff, trying to soften it and sweeten it and make it palatable to the American public that we fail to put the right words to this murder that they're doing. Right. And it's very sad. It's very sad. I think we are being uh, deceived on purpose for, for political correctness. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say too, in regards to the pro-life um, perspective here, what 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 we're doing, what they are doing, is denying um, human beings their right to life, um, and um, not considering them uh, or not taking into um, account their humanity, um, which is what what which is why they can so easily behead and and rape and and crucify and just these horrific deaths that you. You and I, we can't even imagine. Like, I can't even, I can't watch the beheading videos of the journalists because um, Mm -hmm. I just, um, I I can't stomach that kind of evil to watch it. So these things that are just horrific for us to even look at, these people have, in their mind, um, they have so dehumanized um, anyone who's who's not Muslim to the point to where they, they will not only kill, but they will just torture and so I think that that is very much pleasant to a pro-life issue. When I contrast again with Christianity, with our faith, um, if someone does not uh, um, convert to Christianity, we don't hate them, we don't kill them, we we we're told to love them. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, we're told to continue right. to share the gospel with them. And um, so it's it's just a it's uh, whereas Christianity is a a pro-life religion, it's a, a, a religion rooted. And value uh, grounded in the value of humanity. This religion says no. This religion says if you don't do it this way, if you don't see Allah, submit to Allah, you are not you're not worthy of your own life to to even live it, to breathe. You know, and so um, you know, whereas God, God is gracious and He allows us. Um, you know, he, the rain falls in the just and the unjust kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely a anti-life religion, if nothing else. Right, and I don't. This is the point. I don't think that people are are getting in America, and it needs to be pointing pointed out uh, as often as we can talk about it. And the reason, and people, I can, I, I want people to ask the question: Well, why, 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 why is it that way? And here's here's the main difference between the Christian ethic and the Islamic ethic. The, the yeah, the Islamic ethic. And this is something I wish Bill Maher had uh, is able or capable to to grasp and notice that there's a there's a huge part of that interview with charlie rose that uh i got cut off because it was just not relevant to the point that he was trying to make he he is an equal opportunity uh critic 
let's just put it lightly, critic of both Christianity and Islam. He, he looks at the Old Testament the same way he looks at the Quran, without understanding that the context of the two are very, very different. And uh, there are no commands in the Old Testament that must be followed today. And in the context, of, I mean, those contexts were in the past. So, but what he did do was he said that uh, the ethics of Christians, the vast majority of Christians, is fundamentally different from the ethics of most Muslims. Most Muslims may not act on the ethics that they hold to, but that doesn't mean that they don't hold to them. And that is that human life is not to be held above one's beliefs. And that is the main difference. In Islam, life is not, uh, not to be regarded as more important than the, person, the life of the person that holds certain beliefs. So if you are a Christian, if you are a Jew, if you are anything other than a Muslim, Islam teaches that you are a lower form of life, period. Mm-hmm. Because the Quran specifically says that Muslims are the best of creatures, very best of creatures. There's a hierarchy in the creation under Allah, apparently. And if you don't convert to be a Muslim, you are, you are certainly a lower form of life that can be disposed of just because you are not a Christian. Now, are there... So, so a lot of people are going to call in and complain that I'm not giving Muslims a fair shake, that there are laws that protect Christians from certain things. Insofar, if you define protection as a form of extortion, yes, it is protection. It is mafia protection. It is the same thing that, that, um, that our mobs in Chicago have done for people for many decades. You can buy your protection from your own beheading if you have the money to pay for it. And that's how that protection works. Um, so hopefully you never run out of money, but that's, that's exactly how that works. It doesn't change the fundamental fact that if you are not a Muslim in the Muslim world, Muslim mindset, I mean, you are a lower form of life. You may be a human being, but you're a lower form of life. And because you're a lower form of life, you're not the best of, cre- of all creatures, your life is forfeit to whatever the whims and laws that Sharia, that they can make you hold to, to Sharia. End of, that, that's the end of the story there. Um, so I, the, the difference, the contrast with, with Christianity is that everybody is a creature of God and everybody has their own path that God has, has set them on. And we are to look at each other as fundamentally equal creatures of God. So your life, my life, everyone's life is not held to different standards just because you belong to one faith or another. And that is a fundamental difference. And we don't have a doctrine. There is no doctrine in the Bible that says if you leave Christianity that you should be beheaded or killed in any way. 
There's no doctrine like that at all. So I'm waiting for the day. I think I probably will wait until I die for the media to acknowledge this fact. I'm not really waiting. <laughs> I don't think that anybody should be waiting. Uh, but, you know, one of these days, it, we might be surprised and someone might accidentally admit it in, in public. No, that would be a treat. So, Thomas, uh, Melissa, do you have anything to add to that before we move on to another story? Yeah, no, I'm holding but... my breath as well. <laughs> I I was I was hoping that that this would be um, as terrible as these instances are that people would be able to look at Christianity and to really evaluate our faith versus the Muslim faith and, and be fair about it, about what they're seeing on TV and, and the reality of, of what we see um, uh, in, in terms of Christianity in the world and, and the positive effects that Christianity has had on the world. So I don't know, if I keep that on, fair and balance is very hard to find, <laughs> but I, I think that if people are really um, – really looking at the news, they, can, they should be able to see a clear distinction. Right. I, I hope you're right. I mean, but look at look at the conversation Charlie Rose was having with Bill Maher. Yeah. He was denying everything that that Bill Maher was saying. Right. Like he, he, Bill Maher was saying, they're absolutely followers of Islam. You can't believe that. You really can't believe Of course he can. Right. <laughs> and yeah. what is it going to take for Charlie Rose? To admit right. that, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> Leticia, you do realize that Char- Charlie Rose is a flaming libtard, right? Well, most of the members of media do lean h- highly left. Yes, incredibly left. Yep, and, and he's but Bill Maher, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, Bill Maher is definitely not a, a right wing conservative. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. Right. You know. Uh-huh. Bill Maher Oh, yeah. Is, we is, oh, yeah. There's no love lost here. I mean, but <laughs> yeah. there's no love lost here with, with you know, how, how hostile Bill Maher has been toward Christianity, um, except for the fact that if he criticizes Christianity, we're going to criticize him right back, and we'll discuss it as, as an issue. And but if he goes out, comes out and criticizes Islam, somebody's calling for his head on a platter. Right. <laughs> I mean, right there, you should be able to tell, and he knows that. He knows that, and he know, and he's he. That's why he says uh, what he says about Islam. He's making a distinction. He's saying clearly, I could, I can criticize Christianity all day long, and I don't have to worry about a knife to my throat. I don't have to right. worry about the Pope making a making a or some pastor carrying out a death threat on a Sunday morning. But I mean, if you say something very nasty about Islam, you have to watch your back, <laughs> and that's the plain uh, that's the short fact of it all. Right. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. We have um, a very interesting. Speaking of women and children, <laughs> um, what you were saying earlier, here's here's what's happening in America. And I ran across this story and let me let me let me set this up. There's a man named Jay Williams 
and he was recently interviewed on Oprah's is it Oprah's what network? The O W N, the OWN network. Yeah, uh, that's o- OWN. Okay. Yeah. And so they found this man. He happens to have thirty-four children with seventeen women. Now, obviously, he's not married to those seventeen women. Wait, 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 Leticia, wait a minute. Yes. Seventeen women, thirty-four kids. Hmm. Right. This isn't. I'm in core. Seventeen times two. Right. It's four. Isn't that 34? 17 yes. times two? Yes. Wow. So he has an I average of two children with over 17 women. And let's, let's not leave anything unsaid, okay? Let's, let's not just assume we know. Let's just say it right out. He is not an active father in any of his children's lives. He is not a husband wow. to any of these women. And most of these children, probably with their mothers, live on welfare because he probably does not have a job that can support. I don't know if he's employed or not, but he definitely doesn't have a job that can support all of these individuals in his life. Right. So what they have tried to do, what the network has tried to do, was put him on TV to try to shame him to some kind of action. And uh, let me play the clips. This is he's being interviewed by a woman named Iyanla Lazant or Vazant. I can't even. What's her last name? <laughs> um, it's it's Iyanla. So let's let me play yeah. the clip, and it's her trying to get him to to acknowledge his responsibility here. And this is what she says to him. 34 children. At any point, did it dawn on you, this is too much? No. So at child 15, you never said, let me use a condom? I did use condoms. How many? I probably would have 200 kids if I didn't use condoms. Did it ever dawn on you, let me get a vasectomy? No. Why not? I don't want one. But look what you've created. I don't have a problem with what I created. Okay. Um, what she's pointing to is they've set this man in a chair, and he's holding 14 dolls, 14 little dolls. They represent his children, 14 of his children. Looks like we lost Letitia again, folks. So while we're waiting for her to come back, uh, man, we're getting attacked big time on BTR. Dropped Melissa as well. But I'll take over while she connects. And um, there she is. Yes. I love BTR. I love it. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. Um, the reason why this is on own TV is to make a spectacle out of this man. Um, like I said, they, they put on all these 
dolls into his lap and into on his in his arms to represent the four, 14 of the children that he has. Um, and so they're making them hold these dolls. So Yann Le Vazant seems to think that having 34 children, uh, well, let me back up and say, this is all about, this program is all about women trying to look at a problem in a liberal way. And this is at this point where I find fault, not with the man in the chair, but with the interviewer. So Vazant seems to think that having 34 children is by itself a problem. But he answers that he doesn't have a problem with it. He doesn't have a problem with it. Here's the thing. I don't either on the face of it. Right, here's what exactly. She, here's, here's what she focuses on. Condoms, vaccectomy, and having right. four children. He's holding 14 little dolls in his arms for this video. And there's another 20 dolls, you know, in, an, in another chair behind him. So right. let me just point out this, that the existence of the 34 children is not the problem. Right. And she seems to strongly indicate by her, and you're going to have to watch this video to, to get the full effect, her arms and her body language and her, her, her gesturing indicate that she thinks having 34 children is a problem. These children of his are not a problem. Never once did she ask him about why he's not married, why he's not a monogamous man. Not once did she suggest that his tomcat behavior is first and foremost damaging to the 17 women he's a baby daddy to. And not once did she even hint at the fact that he's not married to any woman and then sleeping around and impregnating multiple women? And that is his real problem. Right. Instead, she is focused on birth control as if birth control is going to be all right. Right. Birth control won't change what he is, lady. And what he right. is, is a player. Right. The man is a player. So, so, so Letitia, let me see. Let me see if I understand this correctly. From from how you're describing the interview, the interviewer has more problems with the amount of kids than she does with the fact that he was sleeping around with different women. Right. He, that's the point that I'm trying to make. He, she never asked him about what kind of lifestyle he's leading to produce 34 children with 17 women. Right. He's a player. She's not acknowledged the fact that he's a Tomcat player. What she's failing is what she's failing at is recognizing for herself, for herself and the audience, that condoms have a have failure rate. Duh. If he's telling the truth. Right. If he's telling the truth about using condoms. Right. And surprise, 
sex makes babies. Right. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the failure of liberal sex education or what's lacking in liberal sex ed. And it's the failure of the sexual revolution in America. The sexual revolution has produced men and women who just do what feels right without any regard for the fact that children are born from all this doing. Children who deserve a mother and a father that are more committed to each other and their well-being than satisfying their sexual appetites with any available and willing homo sapien they get hot for. Right. That's the point that ought to have been made. That she ought to have been making. On to cut number two. What can you do right now, holding these fourteen babies with all of them behind you that you don't even have your hand on? What can you, one man, do right now? Tell me for these children. What can you do? Excuse me. Are you aware that you just thunk that baby's head on the chair? And that one down there is hurt. Putting them down on the chair next to him. Can I ask you why you put your children down? I'm tired of holding the dolls. Okay. Uh, She wants to call him to some responsibility after the fact. But how can she? After a culture of dependence has developed from the so-called compassion of liberal people, just like her boss, Oprah Winfrey. People, especially single women with children, have discovered that you can live a pretty good life if you game the welfare system just right. The liberal mentality mentality that men are unnecessary has led women to have more children out of wedlock. Instead of baby daddy, she can have a sugar daddy named Uncle Sam. And a man that knows he's not needed won't stick around to care for the children he produces. Do you get that? Right. Do liberals get that? From the way they speak, I don't think they do. Patricia, let me let me chime in here and add something tongue-in-cheek. Liberals always talk about how compassionate they are and stuff like that. But on the real tip, liberals are about as compassionate as ISIS is. Oh, yeah. I think on a on a guttural level, on a gut level, there's a mu- as much hostility toward children in the womb and for men as there is, you know, for that that a militant Muslim has for non-Muslims. Okay, so so she beat him over the head over having children he cannot provide for um, by asking him what he can do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's, what's, oh, oh, yeah, what's a man going to do? He's backed into a corner. So here at this point in the video, he just disengages completely. You're going to have to watch this on the video. You can see that exact moment where his eyes just go right out the, off to the side, out to the lawn. He's already he's transported himself mentally down the street. 
He's done. He's done talking. Now, to me, he's polite enough to set down the dolls he's tolerated in this video setup up to this point. I mean, they're, they're in his arms to humiliate him. He puts them down, and notice that he calls them dolls, because that's what they are. He calls them, I'm, I'm tired of holding the dolls, because he's done with the silly pretending. But Ian Levasant isn't giving up on this demonstration quite yet. You have to watch the video cut, uh, the next cut to see, and you're, it's not going to come through very clearly on the audio, but she just gets livid with him. As a mom, I don't get not to take care of my children, no matter what I'm thinking or feeling or going on. I have to figure out and find the time and the way to get myself handled, but they were first, and I didn't get to just put them down because it was inconvenient. Okay. Like I said, you're going to have to watch it. What she's doing in this cut is she's standing over him. She stands over him and starts stuffing the dolls back into his arms and his lap. She's taking 14 dolls and she's piling them right on top of him. Her voice is like, I'm going to teach you a lesson if this is the last thing I do. And I'm just I'm looking watching this. And, lady, the only lesson that you've taught is that black women are going to force men to sit with 14 dolls in their lap for spite. She would be more laughable. She would be more laughable if she didn't appear so insanely pathetic. I feel, I feel a little sad for her. And I feel sad that the lesson that neither of them know is what's going to make a difference in the lives of children, which is the lesson that liberals like her and the network she works for have rejected decades over. Iyanla can't get him to, to where she wants him to be from here. And it is her liberal thinking that prevents her from seeing that. At the end of this video, I was sad. I was sad for both individuals. I was sad for a man that was uh, wailed on by a liberal black woman who has no solutions for him except to, to make demands on him that she doesn't even understand herself. Thomas? I am here. All right. Is this, is this I just want to know, is this typical of, of how a conversation like this would go? Because this is, here, uh, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands this is a black man. If he and and Miss Vizant is a black woman, not that it ultimately matters, but that's happened. That happens to be the background we're talking from, the stories from. Right. Well, you know, black men and black women humiliate each other all the time, and you know. It's just a symptom of the lack of respect that that is perpetuated, you know, be, between black men and women. The the truth of the matter is, neither neither gender res, 
respect one another. And until that respect is there, you will have a man with 34 children between two different um, or 17 different black women. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and because those women don't have any respect for themselves, they allow themselves to get caught up in that. So, you know, yeah. I, I really can't speak to it any, any more than that. Well, I, I so. think that that this can be is easily a symptom of people of any color. If you have this this mentality that uh, m- your body is simply something to pleasure over time, and if you're hungry for attention, women are just hungry for attention. Um, they'll easily fall for any Casanova walking by, and that's. It seems like this man, this this guy, Jay Williams, is a is it does he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind um, his own behavior, and I wish this was a great opportunity to show to bring him into account to really get at the heart of the issue which is that he has so little respect for women and children uh, that he will, that, that he would disrespect women over and over again by sleeping with them and not caring about them or their children. And then, you know, we have this, this show host that doesn't help at all by berating him over things that aren't really the problem. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I was waiting for her to ask at one point in time, why didn't you encourage any of these women to get abortions? <laughs> she didn't ask that, but I was, all, I was all but ready to hear that from her. Right. Right. And, and certainly poverty is one of the reasons why people give for for abortion being legal. Now, not I don't think that's a reason that most give when they have abortions, because if you ask, most women who, who say that they have abortions don't say it because I'm too poor to have a child. They cite other reasons. Right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm not sure where that goes. I'm not sure that goes anywhere, but it's one that people like to throw up there a lot and so moving right along um, I hope that guy gets a clue and I hope the show host gets a clue and it's a very sad to hear a conversation um, in which one person's trying to call an account to somebody and not have the solution at all I mean he, she did not help him and he did not learn anything <laughs> um so we're going to move right on to Texas. And guess who's trying to breathe life into her gubernatorial campaign down in Texas? Wendy Loser Davis. <laughs> I, I say Wendy, ha- yeah, she will be a loser very soon. Um, but Wendy wears a catheter Davis and filibusters for 11 hours straight. Um, so she decided because her... Her, her numbers 
are down about 13, somewhere in the neighborhood between 13 and 17 points below, um, what's the name of the other guy? I just slipped my mind. The Republican candidate for governor. Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott. That's right. Thank you very much. She decides to try to play the sympathy card. And she goes on TV and she has an interview and she talks about, oh, I don't know, the economy. No, that wasn't it. Um, Foreign policy. No, that wasn't it. Um, Immigration. No, she didn't talk about that. Oh, yes. She decides to try to get people to like her more by talking about her abortion. Our baby had a severe brain abnormality. If she did survive to term, she likely would not survive delivery. And if she did survive delivery, she likely would be in a vegetative state. We knew that the most loving thing that we could do for our daughter was to say goodbye. And like so many other families across this country, we made that difficult decision with as much love uh, for our daughter as can be imagined. Her name was Tate Elise Davis, and we loved her as we love our living daughters, Drew and Amber, and she forms, of course, a very important part of my life. Can you understand that there will be some that will say they would have taken a different route? This was how my family confronted this tragic experience. I respect so much that people make their own decisions and that that decision is the one that is right for them. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, let's, let's leave the latter comments uh, and take the first ones first. So she decided to draw public sympathy for her story and for her probably uh, by sharing the fact that she and her husband had aborted their child because of some kind of um, fetal normality. Let's just put it that, some brain abnormality. And the, the, the rationale was if the child wasn't developing properly, would likely die before she was born. And if she was born alive, she likely wouldn't survive long outside of the womb. And if she did not... It, but if she did survive a little bit outside of the womb, she would have such such brain damage. Uh, so here we go. I think that we found the problem here. Wendy Davis, when you start on this road, especially if you're a person in office that's trying to explain something like your abortion story, um, here's what I have. Here's a tip for you. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Because Wendy Davis, once you get started talking, you can't stop and you end up digging yourself into a hole. That one's for free, pro-abortionists. If you're going to come out and try to talk about your abortion story, uh, I would highly suggest that you not. And here's where Wendy Davis kind of left the tracks. She's trying to gain sympathy by saying, oh, my child had a, a, a condition that would not be survivable. But if the child survived, and then if this and if that, well, 
they had extensive discussions then with the doctor about the risks and the perspective, uh, what, perspectives of what would happen to this child later on in life. At what point in time, if the child were to die naturally, would that be such a tragedy then, since you know it is coming? Uh, I don't think she has an answer to that. So nope. she decided to she decided to end the life of her child and get an abortion so the baby wouldn't die. Is that about it? Yeah. Yep. So here's to her, here's to Wendy Davis's judgment on this. I loved my child so much that I would kill her so she wouldn't have to die. Um, and this is why I, this is why I'm saying that if you are a person in seeking office and you support abortion, and this is your rationale that you quietly please please don't talk about it because you're just going to dig yourself into a hole. So Wendy Davis is trying to keep her campaign alive by talking about abortion. The irony of irony. I think she needs to, pl- at this point, needs to plug, pull the plug and abort her own campaign. Because I don't know anybody who would listen to her story except the staunchest of pro-choice liberals and not recognize the problem with her judgment. You name the baby, you, call, you give her personhood, you acknowledge the personhood of the baby but you decided to have an abortion for such an illogical reason. Contrast that to a story I just read today of a couple who had a similar um, poor diagnosis for their unborn child. And as the child kept um, growing in the womb, the prognosis got, kept getting worse and worse. And they prayed and asked for one day spend with their child outside of the womb because they were afraid that she was going the mother was going to miscarry. And the baby lived and they delivered the baby early uh, by inducing the mom. <clears throat> but they the baby survived. They gave the baby medical care and they spent a day with their child before the child succumbed to um, I think it was a breathing problem. The lungs were not fully developed and could not be fully developed enough to, to survive outside of the womb long. But that is such a contrast to, to Wendy Davis. And what that should tell people is if Wendy Davis can do this to another human being, her own child, how much compassion can she really have for other people in circumstances that are just as hard, if not harder, Right. Oh, well, yeah, oh, you know, everybody can do what they want. That just means, you know what that tells me? This whole, the whole interview was about her justifying her own decision to herself. Oh, everybody can do it. We just respect everybody for their own decisions and, and doing what's best for them. And that's just self-justification, telling, trying to reassure herself that she didn't do anything uh, wrong. 
I don't know how much clearer it can be when you take the life of your own child before uh, before she dies of natural causes. I mean, if you know the child is going to die, you didn't even give her a chance. There was that possibility the child could live. There was that possibility, even for a short time, the child would be all right. But she took away that chance. And not because, oh my goodness, I don't want my child to suffer. But I don't want to live with a child that I have to care for in a different way than my other two children. That's exactly what she sounded like she's saying all throughout the interview. I think this is going to be very bad for her. I think she should have kept her mouth shut. Um, but in a way, I'm glad if she's going, to, if her campaign is going to go down in flames, this is how it should go down in flames, with her speaking about things and having America listen to um, who Wendy Davis really is. You know, as much as she tried to spin this as a positive thing, you cannot spin this as a positive thing. Sorry. And uh, are you still there? <laughs> yep. All right. I am here. Okay. Just making sure. Now, did you have a story for us? You were wanting. You were talking about something earlier off air. Oh. Was it? Oh my goodness! It's right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I'm getting old, know you know. Friday. I'm about to turn forty. You're about um, to turn forty. <laughs> yep, in five days. Well, you, you know, you Latisha, can't I have forgot what it was. Brain cells. You forgot what it was. Well, thank you. It is Friday after all. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's move on to a story I thought was quite uh, indicative of how how this is the end. I think we've reached the end of all civilized discussion about anything that matters in the world. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we just right. just just a close up shop and go home. Because uh, if you've heard of the group Femin, they are kind of famous, especially in Europe where they have, they're famous for walking around with no top and no bra, you know, bare-chested, and screaming and shouting at men, especially, especially Christians. They've targeted Christian churches, and they've targeted priests, and basically they've, they've, they held a priest, I think in Spain, I'm not sure exactly, I think it was in Spain, they basically held him hostage for a few hours where they repeatedly whipped him and beat on him and poured liquids on him and while the while you know, they're they're not dressed in anything above the waist they have they have messages written on their bodies and they're just beating on men their message that uh they don't want to be sexual objects they're they're beating on men for feminism goals and now they, there's a daily beast 
article that was written on them. It says, flaunt your breasts to fight sexism. And they quote them saying, you know, women, it's time to reclaim your, your breasts by joining feminine. And so here's the article. The Daily Beast's Emily Shower cheers to a new crowd, the new crowd of feminists who are deliberately making their breasts the subject of discussions, jokes, and images in order to, quote, unquote, reclaim their bodies from society's double-edged sword of shunning and sexualizing, especially when it comes to their breasts. And they say more women are not only talking about their breasts, but sharing images, stories, and humor around the life-giving organs, all of their own, all on their own terms, from posing for post-mess stuff to me, portrait photos online, to comedy sketches about boob sweat. Is there Leticia? Once again, we have lost Leticia because our BTR is tripping. And I am guessing that we have some issues with trolls in Skype. So she will be right back. And in the meantime, I'm just going to kind of talk until she comes back. You know, it's interesting, these groups that talk about they're not wanting to be exploited and that sort of thing, but then they turn around and run around with no clothes on talking about don't objectify us. And, you know, it's kind of ironic, but as we say, this liberals for you. And for those who are Democrats, who have some semblance of common sense, they're always talking about us reigning in our side. Time to rein in groups like that because they really make women look really bad with their actions. They don't represent the vast majority of women. Now, having said that, I'll toss it back to Leticia. Oh, I was in the middle of reading that, and I'm like, I think I got cut off again. Um, and and I think what you're trying to say is right. They're not representative of a a normal point of view of women. Now, nope. this is the point that they're trying to make. Okay, just, just to be fair, just to be fair. This is the point they're trying to make. Breasts serve a lot of functions for in in social and biological functions. They they serve a lot of social and biological functions for women. And so um, to their point is to reduce what they see as a negative. They're going to put their breasts out there in, in, in your face to try to desensitize people. Um. You know, this works about as well as a flasher on the street. <laughs> because uh, just 
desensitizing people doesn't change anything. So, you know, at the very best, they're not having any impact on their goals. And at the very worst, they're just making fools out of themselves and and making a mockery of the human body. Right. And I think I think they're doing both. I think they're doing a lot of I mean I'm not criticizing for them for this one individual point, although every where it comes from and where it's what it's couched in is certainly very objectionable and we'll get to that. But the part where they saying they're saying that um we need to be, women need to be um to bear their breath in order to change society is is fueling the kind of um what is the word I want to say rhetoric. it is fueling the what rhetoric well rhetoric is one thing it's fueling the kind of the opposite ironic message they're oh, they're, okay. they're um, I'm, what I'm trying to think of is, you know, I, they, they should stand right up next to Planned Parenthood's costumes of, you know, vaginas, and then the circle of absurdity will be complete here. Because, right. I mean, how how is it that we, how what what better way to objectify women, um, than to make them stand outside and in costumes that are just their reproductive parts? I mean, that's what they're trying right. to to speak out against, and ironically, that's the perception that they're fueling. They're really trying, right. they're really getting across. I mean, how much more objectified can a person be if they work for Planned Parenthood and go outside in a costume dressed like a vagina? I mean, no, right. way to go. Way to go getting that perception that women are more than just uh, reproductive parts, arms and legs, when you go outside and stand out there and as a reproductive part with arms and legs. And so this is the same message I think feminists sending. You know, we don't want people to perceive our breasts to be sexual, so we're just going to stand out here and and be sexual. (laughs) And and you know and and talk about you know talk about the object you want people to avoid talking about so much in a negative way. Right. I, I think what would be better is if they looked at this issue of this objectification the sexualizing of women uh, I, I think they should do that instead of focusing on breasts I mean come on please if it were hair if it were arms if it were any other body part and trust me I'm married to a man anything on a woman's body can be sexual and so it's not just it's not the issue of breasts um so if, if they were going to go after this in the sense that we want women to be looked at as whole beings, human beings, that's what they want, that's what they say they want, they ought to go about it differently. I mean, way not to show how, many, how much brains you have by shoving your breasts into people's faces. I mean, that I mean, doesn't right. tell you how many brains you have now. Right. So to me, this is a, another failure of leftist liberal thinking on our social uh, our social mores and our social thinking trying to tackle tackle a problem in a liberal way and utterly 
utterly failing. Failing, just like right. the own network, just like Ianla Vasant, totally failing at the point she was trying to make because she couldn't make it because liberalism doesn't have that foundation for her. Um, so, ladies, yes. You want to hear a little piece of irony? I love irony. You remember when those women were dressing as women body parts and writing on themselves, my my body, my decision, and all that stuff? You want to hear a little piece? You want to hear a little piece of irony in that? Is well, I that say, irony is good for the body? We all need our daily dose of irony. Well, most of those women, you could tell by looking at them that they were lesbians. So here's the thing. Most lesbians are not going to get pregnant unless they're going to get artificially inseminated. So therefore, is kind of the ironic you know, the ironic part of all their protesting, especially with with Code Pink. Code Pink, I don't know if people realize this, uses a lot of radical lesbians and homosexuals to to do their protesting. That's the irony in all this. They want to talk about women's reproductive rights. They don't really have to worry about reproducing because they're not in a relationship where they could get pregnant by their mate. Right. Um, I don't know how much, how many of the feminists that are part of Femin and Code Pink are lesbians. But, yeah, I mean. The ones I saw is, were. Okay. You yeah, can I mean, tell. <laughs> <laughs> it well, was we're, pretty we're, obvious. They're in a government study to find out why they were super obese. <laughs> oh, it wasn't just that. <laughs> That's a real study. That was a real study, by the way. You do know that, right? It's, it's ongoing. It's still going. They haven't found Wait. out the reason why. They haven't found out the reason why lesbians are mostly obese women. Are you sick? Well, haven't found it out yet. <laughs> so that study is still ongoing. As far as I know, it is. <laughs> wow. Oh wow! Okay, nobody's getting rich. <laughs> I mean, somebody is. Man, talk about talking about some Obama favors. Wow. Oh man. Anyway, next story or <laughs> finish. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Go ahead, Leticia. What we. <laughs> What we do is I have our, our stupidest thing ever that I had planned to play a couple of weeks ago, and then we ran out of time. Um, oh, I forgot. This is what I wanted to do. Yes, yes. Thank you for reminding me, little notes. Um, it was a little review of recap of last week, which we had interviewed a, oh. a representative from the Covering House here in St. Louis, and it is a sex trafficking um recovery center 
right. where they provide counseling and they provide housing if needed. And they provide a lot of services to uh, women and girls that have been sex trafficked, that have escaped from that lifestyle. And I, I believe they try their very best to be active in, uh, in efforts to remove women from this lifestyle, rescuing them from this lifestyle. And, right. you know, what I thought about that interview was this is, a, this is like lots of sex trafficking anti-sex trafficking ministries, I should call it a ministry because it is a service-oriented thing, but a lot of organizations that are geared toward this and that they just want to help women, that's great. And what bothered me for the longest time was their mission statement or their about statement on their website had said that they're not an overtly or even uh, remotely a faith-based organization. And which was curious to me because it was founded by a woman who is a member of the church I attend. She is a professed Christian, and a lot of the staff for the Covering House are also professed Christians. And I thought for a long time, and I asked her the question, why is it that this organization, which does a lot of good for women and children, why would they not identify themselves as a faith-based organization? Not that there's anything wrong with that by itself. I wanted to say that outright. But at the same time, so this was her answer. Her answer was, well, right, we are, I, I, is there an advantage for being a non, a, not a faith-based organization? She says, absolutely, there's an advantage. Because a lot of the people that have been abused and then trafficked are abused and trafficked by people claiming to be in a faith. I, I assume right. And I had to think about that for a while. And I thought, geez, is that really correct on the face of it? And I did a little bit of thinking and I did a little bit of digging. And I thought, okay, this is like we, how we talk about Islam. Right. And we talk about the moderates. And it's flipped. It's flipped. We talk about people who are moderately Muslim. They don't adopt the radical views, and they don't take into um, they don't take to Sharia as closely as many of those that are more faithful to Islam take to. Right. And we understand that the closer somebody is to the teachings in the Quran and the teachings of the Prophet and 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 his successors, the more radical they become. And the more violent they become. So, because those because their scriptures command this, that's why. Right. Right. But then when we go when we look at Christianity, and we all know that we're talking about Christianity in particular, we don't right. find that we don't find that in the Christian scriptures whatsoever. There is nothing in Jesus Jesus' words that suggests that a person that uh, is considered in the lower dregs of society is life is worthless. In fact, by example and by by words and deeds, Jesus had said that that even uh, the least of these is important in the kingdom of God. And so, when I look, I hear people saying that Christians are the 
are the perpetrators of abuse. Right. I can't imagine that that person is at all faithful to the Christian religion at all, to the Christian faith at all. Right, right. It, that is right. a direct contradiction to the way that Christianity is, what Christianity is. So, you know, the part of me got a little bit upset saying, well, you know what? Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why don't I don't make a big deal about the fact that they aren't a faith-based organization, but here's the thinking behind it that I really want to set straight for the record. Most of our active anti-sex trafficking organizations are run by people who are in the millennial generation. God bless them for doing that. It's great. I, I'm, I'm with them 100%. I think it's a I think it's a 100% pro-life thing to do. I am totally in support of ending sex trafficking, sex slavery. It is right. part of my worldview and my Christian ethic that comes from Christianity. But here's the problem. For a generation, and especially for our guests, for a generation that prides itself and actively rejects any notion of being labeled, especially Christians in you know this category of Christians who who's, who doesn't want to be identified outright as a Christian, right? Um, and the reason being is because other people, other people who claim to be Christians, have kind of ruined their names for them. For a generation that doesn't like to be labeled by the actions of others. This organization uh-huh. has worn that label and worn the negativity associated with so-called Christians acting out, uh, acting terribly. They're wearing it like a giant fur coat at a PETA convention. <laughs> and I do not understand why that inconsistency exists. Right. And there's a part of me that has a has very little patience for those who are ashamed to be a Christian um, in public right. or are ashamed to call themselves Christians in public. So I'm not upset that they don't call themselves a faith-based organization, but the motivation for doing so I think is a huge step backwards because you're not, you're, as a Christian, you're not just Offering people and women and children a rescue from abuse and exploitation. You are right. supposed to be offering them eternal life, which is right. the healing 360 degrees around in their life here and now and in their life, in their spiritual life and in the life to come. Why, right. would, you keep, why would you be low-key about that? So I didn't. So I just personally, that struck me as something that I, I thought, where is this coming from? And it is undercutting the pro-life message, I think. Which, by the way, she never came out as a hundred percent pro-life. Anyway, <laughs> but and let's, right. talk about, let's talk about that. Um, if you scroll back to the answers, and I won't play them for you because, um, I just don't see, I don't see the need to dig that up. I had specifically asked 
um, about the exploitation that young girls get when they get pregnant in the sex slave industry and they're taken to get abortions. And doesn't that make the abortion industry complicit in their exploitation? And we're also, mm-hmm. we're also killing, you know, injuring and harming two people instead of just one. And she just very cleverly went around that answer and said, well, I believe we, we, should, be, we should do best for, what's, for the woman or the girl. We just need to do what's best for her. Well, of course. I want to do what's best for her, too. Right. Who doesn't want to do what's best for her? But the whole point of this program, True Life Fridays Radio, and this ethic that we, um, that we wear on this program is that what's best for the women is that when they get pregnant, they need to be cared for. They don't need a surgical procedure. I, I'm not even going to dignify it with that. They're not going to get a physical procedure to end the life of their unborn child and to, to put them back into the exploitation that they were, they were in before because that's what abortion is used for. You want to help women? Abortion clinics need to be looking out for this type of exploitation. And we've seen over and over again through, through expose videos that they don't. They're legally obligated to, but they don't. How many right. planned parenthood been shown to ignore the fact that there are underage girls getting abortions without, um, without any, uh, with knowledge that they're, they're, um, they're, they're having, they're, I'm sorry, that they're, the perpetrators are committing statutory rape. Planned Parenthood does not want to know the age of the person who, who impregnated the girl for that very reason. And we've had more than one story exposed that that people use abortion so they can commit um, exploitation, so they can further exploit girls um, and hide it using their abortion. How can we look at an industry that is complicit in that and say, oh, we just want what's best for the women? Um, yeah, you wanted what's best for the women. You would look at the the sources of what's keeping them there in exploitation. So that's what I had to say about that, because I really think that until the sex trafficking is hooked closely with the pro-life movement, and this some of this is the fault of pro-lifers too. We are so wrapped up in abortion that that we don't see past abortion to all the other pro-life issues, and we try not to do that on this this program. We will talk about all of them. The unifying principle of life has to go through all of these topics, all of these issues, or else we're not being consistent. And are you still there, Thomas? <laughs> yep, I'm waiting okay. for you. I'm so just listening. I, I just wanted to, yeah, and I, I wanted just to, just to, to end that commentary 
with the fact that it, unless we are 100% pro-life, we can see this issue and apply it 360 degrees around. Um, somebody's right. going to get left out. Someone will get left out, and they deserve to be treated the same as everyone else, as a human being, with dignity and respect. Right. Right. So, you know, my wish and my hope for the pro-life movement is to expand from abortion to include all these other things, which abortion makes possible, like sex right. trafficking and sex slavery. Abortion makes right. is, is, enables all of these things. Um, right. So that's, and I think until we do, I think, I think that's the logical next step is that until we do, um, the sex trafficking camp and the abortion camp are going to be separate and there won't be much influence on the sex trafficking camp to be more pro-life because a lot of times they're, they, they don't want it. They're not for, um, they're not pro-life. They're not, they're not against abortion as, as evidenced by our guest last week. Right, exactly. I'm glad you caught that too, because I caught that, and I was thinking to myself, "Huh, that's kind of interesting." But I did catch that as well. Yeah, so, so I wanted to point that out from our la- interview of last week. And with that, let's uh, let's go to our stupidest thing ever. And you, did you have one for us? No, I don't. Ah. Uh, well, good thing I came prepared for the show with statements on the Iraq war. We're going to end with statements on the Iraq war to show you exactly where our administration is. And it. For the first time in nine years, there are no Americans fighting in Iraq. Four years ago, I promised to end the war in Iraq. We did. Four years ago, I promised to end the war in Iraq. I did. Four years ago, I promised to end the war in Iraq, and I did. I told you we'd end the war in Iraq. We did. I said we'd end the Iraq war. We did. I told you I'd end the war in Iraq, and we did. I ended the war in Iraq as I promised. In 2008, I promised we'd end the war in Iraq. We've ended it. I was able to keep my promise and end the war in Iraq. In 2008, I promised we would end the war in Iraq, and we've ended it. The war in Iraq is over. The war in Iraq is over from ending the war in Iraq. That's why I ended the war in Iraq. For the first time in nine years, there are no Americans fighting in Iraq. President, do you have any uh, second thoughts about uh, pulling all ground troops out of Iraq? You know, what What I just find interesting is uh, the degree to which this, this issue keeps on coming up as if this was my decision. Oh. Wow. Yep. I think as we are are going back to a not the equivalent of an Iraq war uh, in the Middle East, that this is going to be the greatest turnaround I've ever seen in an, in an administration. Greater than George Herbert Walker's Bush, read my lips, no new taxes. <laughs> I think um, when we're going to put boots on the I mean, we already have boots on the ground. 
I mean, let's just make no mistake. We pulled out all their troops. We declared a war prematurely over. It was never over. Come on, realistically, the war in Iraq right. was never over. We had we we left diplomats there to fight a war on paper. But the war was never over, and 350 more troops were sent there. They're not allowed to do anything. They're just occupying space in, in Iraq. But we do have boots on the ground. He absolutely said, uh, without question, uh, uh, Barack Obama is not going to put boots on the ground. Well, they're already there. <laughs> I, it's fascinating to me how many things that this president can say that – which the opposite is true. And so this week he said that we're not going to put boots on the ground, but they're already there. He said we're, this is not an equivalent to a war in Iraq, but it is because it's never really ended. And we're going to go to, to um, hit ISIS in Syria, oh, but only by air. And our Secretary of State says we are not at war with Iraq. Well, if we're not at war, but we're dropping bombs, what do you call that? I don't know. So, America, don't be our stupidest thing ever this week. Do not be stupid and buy this stuff from Washington, D.C. It's very plain that everything that's coming out of our president's mouth about Iraq and Syria is, is contradictory. And I just hope that Americans would, by this time, would be just a little more skeptical of the rhetoric that comes out of Washington. Just a little right. more. Just a little more. Right. All right. <laughs> and so, are you sure you didn't have anything you wanted to say today? Because I think you did. <laughs> I did, and you know what? I forgot. <laughs> I really did, because sitting here listening and commenting when I was. I got I I got hit with just a a dose of drowsiness and um because today's been a good eventful day for me I cut a few yards in the rain and earned earn a little money so it was a good day but I can't remember what it was I'm wanting I'm thinking was it something about the president uh yeah we went over him. Quite extensively today. <laughs> oh, I can't even well, there remember. July Fridays, everybody. Have a great weekend. Find us on Facebook at True. Letitia, did I lose you? Oh, sounds like we lost Letitia again, so want to thank everybody for tuning in to True Life Fridays Radio. And next week, our guest is going to be Ryan Scott Bomberger. And so, tune and in. And on our website, let me finish that, at truelifefridaysradio.com. <laughs> oh, this is just a peachy Friday. <laughs> Love how the technology right. is not working for us. But stay with us. Uh, next Friday, we're going to have another great episode and a great broadcast of True Life Fridays. We will see you then. Yep. Have a good night, everybody. Oh, I need a vacation now.
It's for 